Ventures and Adventures in Topography. Essentially, topography is really nothing more than the detailed study of place, an area or region or town, etc. A show that takes the listener on a wayward topographical ramble around the margins of London. The walker at the edges of the city, the, the, the liminal figure who is not so conceptual in his practice. Drawing on a rich tradition of old walking guides, maps, literature and ephemera, Nick Papadimitriou and John Rogers embark on a series of suburban perambulations and outer circle rambles. I like those um, pre-moulded uh, concrete pails that run along the river here. With the, with the mosses and uh, lichens growing on them. For me, such things are psychedelic. Hello and welcome to Ventures and Adventures in Topography on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, John Rogers, and my co-host here, Nick Papadimitriou. Hello, Nick. Good evening, John. Uh, have you recovered from the walk this weekend? I felt surprisingly fresh from that walk, but I think it may have been because I had both my knees quite tightly strapped up, and I think that actually sort of pushes the blood around the old uh, system a bit quicker. It was a good one, wasn't it? Six and a half miles? Yeah, probably. I don't know. The thing is, we walk so slowly, you could never actually judge the distance we walk on the time that it takes because uh, we're always stopping and starting, I'm fiddling with bits of kit and we're going off on tangents and uh, six and a half miles sounds about right. For the benefit of the uh, listener, we did a walk along the north edge of the Thames estuary from Coalhouse Fort to Tilbury Fort and then inland to a hillock place called Low Street and then through some concrete tracked countryside and marshy wastelands back to the coalhouse fort jolly good it was as well it was amazing and we were led there and guided through this this apocalyptic landscape by dr kate spencer from queen mary university and andy ramsey from europa 51 and it was really really good to get out there again i i uh, used to go walking out there actually in the late 80s early 90s with my friend neil diamond he used to drive me out there and we used to go walking around Tilbury and around a lot of the Essex uh, edges of the Thames and also the Kent side of the Thames as well. What were you looking for? I was looking for my soul. I, I've just started consciously walking, if you like, uh, around that time and it was uh, a, a lateral shift, walking out of, um, moving out of London with its cafes and its cinemas into these unbeholden landscapes that were very, very unfamiliar to me. Interzones, as Will Self calls them, a term I, I think you heard him come up with in... He didn't come up with it, it's a Barosian term, isn't it? But, but you heard him using that term in the, in the 80s, I believe. It might be an interzone, but is it a liminal space? Is it a liminal space? I don't think it is a liminal space. It seems to be very active and very, and very well worked. But before we take you out on that uh, trunk road to the sea that we took along the A13 on our estuarine adventure, I think uh, the Estimore... Billy Bragg should uh, get a word in here because this is really his neck of the world. So I'm going to play a little bit of, of Billy Bragg's Ode to the Journey we took. This is the only mention we'll give to the journey out to Tilbury along the A13 and home again. It is a journey worthy of its own show, but this is the nearest we'll get. We'll just play a little snippet of this track, uh, A13, Trunk Road to the Sea by Billy Bragg. <laughs> Where you ever gonna 
get a chance to take in uh, Billy's references there, but uh, it was the background to that area of Essex. It isn't just as if Tilbury exists in isolation, is it, on, on that shore of the Thames, Nick? There is an industrial belt that is stripped along that shore. And paradoxically, the uh, areas between any particular items of industry are what would pass to somebody who wasn't too critical as natural, i.e. there's plants and trees and birds uh, well, we did see a few birds, although remarkably few, inland, didn't we? I didn't see any. I heard plenty, but didn't see one. Hmm. I wonder what's happened. Perhaps a, a, a poison leak has killed them off. Maybe we're highly contaminated individuals now. One thing that did keep going through my mind uh, most of the time I was out there was the, the Simpsons. Why? I, don't, I just Well, the power station is the obvious trigger, I think. Well, I kept on whistling chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap, and I have no idea why. But also, I think, because if there was a Simpsons in, in England, it would be in one of those estuarine developments with, you know, like a, a bungalow built underneath a pylon humming with radioactivity. Well, there was quite a lot of traditional rurality there, though, as well. I mean, there were quite a few old farmhouses, uh, some beautiful... Norman and perpendicular churches, the one we saw at Low Street. I think it was a perpendicular church. I'm fudging a little bit here, but it, it looked like something I'd seen in a picture in a book from Batsford Press in about 1956. That passes as expertise in my world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as near as we're going to get, I think. Um, that's my contribution for the evening. Good night. There was a broader discussion, wasn't there, about Essex, which I think is too big a topic to take in because Essex is, a, is an enormous county and it's an incredibly varied county, certainly more ca varied than the county I come from, Buckinghamshire. But I think you saw it, you see it in microcosm in that area, don't you? Because you've got the sort of industrial Essex, uh, which, which is possibly quite well known for, and with the what I would said at the time, and this may offend some, you know, the displaced Cockneys, you know, when they literally slum clearance in the 30s, people were moved out to places like Dagenham and Barking en masse, really. Uh, but then next to that, you have the rural Essex. Which, which dominates a lot of Essex, isn't it? Essex is an incredibly rural county. There's some really picturesque and beautiful villages, and they are just on the outskirts of Tilbury, Dagenham, Greys. Well, it sickens me, the uh, bad press that Essex gets, actually. I mean, not only is the landscape far more vari varied in broad terms, it's not just that kind of flat estuarine land, it's hilly towards the north, but also, you know, even within the estuarine belt, I think there's far more variation, colour, and uh, delights than people generally give credit for. I was really struck by the uh, movement. It was a fine sunny day when we went out, actually, and I was really struck by the movement of sunlight across the landscape. It was really quite beautiful. It was an amazing day, and the sort of uh, the estuary was in was glinting in the sun uh, when we went out there. Ian Sinclair came up with a beautiful description of, of how the uh, estuary looks on days like that. I can't remember what it is, and I was just trying to quickly find it there. Uh, what we will do now is we will play you um, some readings from three different books uh, about, the, uh, about Tilbury. Uh, one book is a book we've used before, The Lure and Law of London's River by A.G. Linney. The other is uh, London's River by uh, Tomlinson, I'm struggling for his, uh, <laughs> what are his initials? They all use initials, these guys, didn't they, in those days? H.M. Tomlinson. And the third is The King's England Essex by, uh, 
Arthur Mee. So uh, the music for this track was written by Andy Ramsey after the war. Well, I say after the walk, I don't know. He might have written it before, but he's called the track Tilbury, and I'm seeing it as a response to our walk. So here is Hayley LePayne reading from those books with music by Europa 51. With the passing of the centuries, Gravesend has snuggled down into the pleasant landscape of Kent. With the decades, Tilbury has clambered itself starkly out of the clay Essex flats. Gravesend whispers in gentle tones, Ah, dears, now I remember when. Tilbury shouts, Look here, you fellows, I'm doing and I intend to. Gravesend is the dear old lady. Tilbury is the lipsticked flapper. There are moments when I love to drink tea with Madame Gravesend and hear her silk gown rustle and smell the lavender in her parlour. And there are moments when I would fain dally with Miss Tilbury and grin at her graceless jests and chaff and profess ignorance when she begins, I say, have you heard this one? And so, as our ship slides by the twin pillars of the gateway to London, we must politely bow to Gravesend and rest our gaze on her successful rival, Tilbury. Nowhere on the river's bank have such transformations taken place during the past four years as on the section between World's End Causeway, East Tilbury, and Tilbury Ness, not even excepting the region at Dagenham Dock. The church at West Tilbury stands among elms and chestnuts on the edge of the bold escarpment overlooking the meadows stretching to the Thames and beyond to the hills of Kent. The rampart and the ditch of an ancient camp are close by and it is believed to have been here that Elizabeth I reviewed her hosts. By the river is Tilbury Fort with a gatehouse of 1682. There are traces of Norman windows in the nave and chancel of the church, and the walls are among the earliest Norman work in England, being 11th century. At Tilbury, where the modern liners are, you get wall sides mounting like great hotels with tier on tier of decks and funnels soaring high to dominate the day. There the prospect of masts is a line of derrick poles. But still in the upper docks is what will soon have gone forever from London, a dark haze of spars and rigging, with sometimes a white sail floating in it like a cloud. track is called Tilbury by Europa 51, one half of which or one component of which is Andy Ramsey who came on a walk with us out to Tilbury where um, I was partly inspired uh, in my thoughts around Tilbury by Ian Sinclair and what he has written about it in his book Down River, a book that I imagine, have you read that Nick? I read about the first 50 pages and then it uh my reading was displaced by something else. I do intend to return to it one day. Well, I'd like to play you, before we go to the field recording, 
uh, of our the first field recording of our walk in Tilbury, uh, led by Kate Spencer, Dr. Kate Spencer for Queen Mary, is uh, a little reading from Down River by Ian Sinclair. Now, this is read by Ian Sinclair in Princeton Street Synagogue, the Rudinsky Synagogue in the East End, in a film that was made about that book before it was published by a great filmmaker called Paul Tickell. So here is Ian Sinclair reading from Down River about Tilbury, and then we'll go straight on the walk. Tilbury Town is a single street, and it is shut. Haberdasher's grease-streaked window, with underwear so outdated, it has all the nostalgic allure of a fetishist's catalogue. Financial consultant with 24-hour sideline in radio-controlled minicabs, and yet more minicabs. The chief industry of the place is providing the means to escape from it. So, uh, today, here we are. We're out in uh, East Tilbury with <coughs> Kate Spencer and Andy Ramsey, uh, known to listeners as Europa 51. And uh, a part of Europa 51. Kate, what, Kate, what is it that you do? Because you're our expert today. Uh, I'm a lecturer in the Geoffrey Department at Queen Mary and uh, I do lots of work on the estuarine environments. Oh. So I kind of thought it'd be nice to come out for a walk on the estuary. Excellent. You, so you chose this particular location for us today, didn't you? Yes, for a, for a nice Sunday afternoon out yeah, at East Tilbury. What kind of work do you do down here on, on this estuary? Me. I'm, I'm really interested in sediment, in mud. It sounds a bit, sounds a bit mad, but um, how it moves, contaminants in it, how sediment affects water quality. Uh, yeah, sediment's a habitat for organisms and uh, important for birds migrating, you know, come and use the mudflats as food sources. So I'm generally interested in, in the sediment and how we, how we manage it. And what do you do? You come down here and literally gather up the mud off the foreshore here and take it back and to a lab and... Well, I've done work um, perhaps looking at sediment and running experiments to see what would happen if you were to dredge it. Would it release contaminants back into the water column? Or yeah. I've done work trying to understand how we can map sediment transport. Um, I'm also interested in sort of sediment quality. Oh look, this is interesting. We've got That's basically the the, uh, the bank of the Thames here has been uh, eroded, and it's revealing the various strata, isn't it? Yeah. And what can you what would you tell from that? Chalk and flint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I, I think this is you've kind of got made ground because I mean it's, that doesn't look like a natural salt marsh profile because you'd expect just mud right. because remember you've got quite low levels of energy moving sediment around so you just expect mud to um, you know to build up this is fairly bleak here isn't it so we're just approaching the uh, as a power station Wow, this is where the, so this is where the landfill really Look, comes apart on the foreshore. There's no bottle. There's no, yeah, bottle. there's no bottle here. What, 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 I mean, I'm holding this uh, old 
1960s milk bottle in my hands, Kate. What are the dangers? What are the dangers? Well, this is an old landfill site um, that, you know, is probably 1930s, 1940s, up to the middle of the 20th century. We just don't know what's in it. Right. So even though we're on a public footpath, you know, and this is kind of public access, I wouldn't advise that, you know, certainly from, from a health and safety point of view, I'd put gloves on or you know, right. wash your hands after you've touched anything. You just don't know what's in here. Right, could be contaminants. Oh, yes, could be contaminants. It's amazing though. Basically, look, we're just kicking over the dirt here, which is quite sooty kind of dirt, and all sorts of stuff are coming up. Um, old, strange old bottles. Really quite beautiful bottle, actually. And completely intact. That's what kind of amazes me. It is astonishing, isn't it? That, that bottle down there that looks like it might have had some sort of ointment in it. Well, this is it. That's why you might not want to... Even right. though it's really old and everything has been washed away. Oh, look. What have you found, Nick? An ornate bottle. An ornate bottle with a kind of crisscross etching on the side and a broken long stem at the top of it. Sort of like a sherry decanter. It's the kind of thing that can have a genie inside it. Oh, look at this, look. Is that little? Look at this. So, it's like oh, that's a, so gorgeous. What is it, Nick? It's a tiny little sure porcelain shoe. That, yeah. I mean, that could have been there. That's a medicine bottle, isn't it? Yeah. Can someone read what's on there and tell me what it says? I, I've got no way if I've got the eyesight for that. Margate. It's a long way from home. Is it? It actually says Margate and then it has the emblem. Of Margate, which is something like Porter Maris, I don't know. But yes, could it be Port Marion. Maybe, maybe. Port Marion, China. Porter Maris Portus Salutis, I think. He's translating this. Don't come here unless you've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> we can't escape this landscape of broken bottles and pottery, can we? We're just never going to get away. We're trapped by shards of coloured glass. They're the sirens of the modern world. In fact, I heard recently of a fatality, a deep topographer starved to death, caught in a, a bottle wasteland like this. He was missing for six weeks when they eventually found him. He was sprawled out over a pile of smashed milk of magnesia bottles. It's apocalyptic, isn't it, this landscape here? Because you, you've also got weeds growing through it and this poison plants over here, these thorn apples. Look, it's a, like I think a... they're thorn apples. I would have checked by the time we go on air. And we've got lots of um, um, sea holly, this beautiful white and green uh, rosette plant here. So there we were, working our way across a landscape of broken glass and crockery through the poisonous thorn apples. Well, are they poisonous, Nick? And were they thorn apples? They were indeed thorn apples, uh, and I've never seen so many specimens in one place. The thorn apple, or Datura stramonium, is what the Americans call ginseng weed, and uh, it's highly uh, toxic and hallucinatory. Um, it produces a complete inability to differentiate reality from fantasy and uh, or can also induce bizarre and possibly violent behaviour that can last several days. Are there are cases of people taking it, reports of people you know, being on it and, and running amok along the, along the estuary. 
there, there, there are cases periodically, and, and, and it's a very thin line between intoxication and death. Uh, there was a case in the States uh, recently where a family were hospitalised after accidentally stewing ginseng weed or thorn apple. I always remember uh, reading uh, Richard Mabie's 1972 classic, um, The Unofficial Countryside, and he talks about his great joy at finding a thorn apple uh, just north of where we were, actually, at uh, South Ockenden landfill site. What did he do with it? He admired it, admired and it. then he informed the authorities. I, I think there might be a legal requirement to uh, report uh, the, the finding of Thorn Apple to the police or to the environmental people and have it removed. It's interesting, because I think the biggest danger there is to your feet getting cut to ribbons by all the broken glass. But it was an amazing place. We, we spent probably an hour on that on that part of the shore. It's amazing, because what's happened is the... Is the is the clay cap of this historic 1930s landfill is just suddenly, or say slowly, kind of cracking and coming apart, and just naturally coming up through the soil of the sort of Shipham's paste jars and old ointment bottles, just revealing themselves gently through the composted soil. Well, just to the north of us uh, was the larger mass of the landfill site, and it had been capped by clay uh, and then fenced off, as we saw. Um, and there was a certain amount of vegetation beginning to surface, wasn't there? There were big globules of bramble. There were the dried stems of last year's weeds. Still still no trees as yet, but I, I would imagine it would revert to some sort of hideous secondary woodland eventually. But, yeah, we seem to have some kind of slippage down on the shoreline there, and uh, I really seriously worried whether we were ever going to get away because as soon as we started walking, somebody would go, ooh, look, yeah. and uh, we'd all stop again. And, uh, yeah, we spent a good, a good hour there, actually. Well, that sound you could hear at the end of the field recording of us just walking over the beach there, where you'd look at a, a, a shingle beach or a pebbled beach, it looks the same from a distance. But when you got up close, it was just the remnants of this land, well, this landfill coming through. Yeah, kind of sort of human analogue to chalk mounds made out of billions of dead creatures. It's like a beach made out of things that people have possessed and trying to figure out the world lines of all the different people who possessed all those different objects and how all of those objects found their way there and all the different routes that they took. It's just mind-boggling. And they're all things that actually would be recycled today. I mean, our landfills don't look very nice at all. I imagine in, in 500 years' time, you'll just be masses of plastic bottles. But uh, it's interesting that all that was all stuff that today would be put into your recycling bin. I was particularly interested, as I'm sure many collectors are, in the uh, Victorian medicine bottles, although there did seem to be a preponderance of blue milk of magnesia bottles, and I haven't seen one of them since about ooh, October 1975, I'd say. And a lot of meat paste as well. What was interesting, Nick, and I thought this is something that y y would be up your street, is we went for lunch in a pub called The, uh, the World's End, uh, which does actually feel like it's at The World's End, and apparently that was built as a luggage store for troops who are crossing the ferry over to Gravesend. Mm. That's in, in Sinclair's Down River. But Sinclair mentions that, that when the, the Princess Alice was the passenger boat which sunk at Tilbury with 600 people on board, the dead bodies were brought on, when they were brought ashore, they were laid out actually in that pub. Oh, I would have uh, thought the, uh, the, the, the uh, square of the barracks just adjacent would have been a, a more appropriate place. But then they did used to very often carry out coroner's inquiries in pubs, so it's possible that that's why they uh, placed them there.
Mm. He posits in the book, which I think is actually a novel, that one of the survivors went on to become one of Jack the Ripper's victims. Poor man. Or woman. Woman. Mm. Um, was there a Samuel Pepys connection there, or was that Defoe. just... Daniel Defoe had a brick and tile factory, which failed. But there was a Samuel Pepys uh, theme in the pub as well, I noticed. There? Yeah, there were, there, there were friezes on the wall. He got around, didn't he, Pepys? Yeah. He definitely yeah. got around. But Defoe was there, and he wrote about what he called the Essex Ague, or Essex Ague, which I think is a reference to the fever that people caught, which we now know to be malaria. Yeah, there are malarial uh, mosquitoes in Essex even today. Hmm. Uh, it's a good day for plants, by the way, uh, and I was most intrigued by that because uh, things are running slow in London at the moment and I didn't think they'd be any better down on the coast. But I saw quite a few good plants down there. Uh, What's your quick top ten plants found in Tilbury? Start the countdown. John's putting a discreet pressure on me, everybody. But uh, the thing that really Sadly interested discreet. me... should be more <laughs> coercive. I, I saw some lords and ladies, Arum maculatum, which is known in Essex as cuckoo cock and in Poland as obrazek plamisty, which means spotted picture book, because you often get black dots on the leaves. Well, there's no better way than to go into the next field recording than with that, with a Polish translation of a, of a plant that we found on the shore at Tilbury. What is the relevance of the Polish translation? Never mind, tell me in the pub afterwards. So we're going to head back out to Tilbury, um, where we continue our walk with Dr Kate Spencer and Andy Ramsey. Uh, we'll probably uh, play out on this because we're going to run out of time, I think. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much to Kate and Andy for what was one of the best walks we've done recently. And thanks very much to Ray here on the desk for tolerating our rather haphazard approach to <laughs> uh, radio production. And Nick's there. Just Nick started drawing little people there. Now he's just gone to another place. I think he's taken some uh, thorn apple. Subject so to Freudian analysis, this diagram. Yeah. So here we go, back out on the walk in Tilbury. Yep, let's keep walking. I think there's a pub up ahead. Let's skirt the poisonous thorn apples. They look almost mythical, don't they? Because they're all dried out and dead. And, and then Nick's given us the information that these spiky, uh, these spiky pods contain a powerful hallucinogenic toxin. Gravesend town no. by the river. There's a little bit of Gravesend that's really nice. Why is, really why is yeah. that pontoon going to the toilet? I don't know. There's water spilling out of that pontoon, yeah, yeah. isn't there, in a worrying manner. And also there's a lot of seagulls around the end of it, which makes me think maybe it's something's coming out of the yeah, power station. Food. Yeah, or, or else it means that the water where it's coming out is warmer and therefore yeah. fishes might sort of change their patterns and... Uh, hang around there or something. Well, there'll be a sewage treatment works discharging somewhere here as well. Can we keep walking? Yes, we're walking under the shadow of the power station here, aren't we? What's the name of this power station? Does anyone know? No. Tilbury Deep Shaft. Tilbury Deep Kate, when she did her masters at Imperial, they took them on a field trip of 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 sewage treatment works in East Anglia. Oh wow! And and and. And they came to Tilbury Deep Shaft, which is like one of the greatest sewage treatment plants. That's why, you know, you did your basil jet thing. Yeah. You know, it's like... It's not in East Anglia, though. The, the, you, the you wife it, it wasn't. It was kind of... We sort of... Essex and East Anglia. Yeah. 
And did you did you posit that maybe they're they're laid out along ley lines? Was that was that something that your lecturer put forward? Maybe no, no. <laughs> they, did, they didn't even consider that, Nick. Do they still use the activated sludge process? This is an activated sludge sewage treatment works, I believe. That was developed for uh, Mogden, the, the terminus of the West Middlesex main drainage scheme. Was it? Yeah, Mogden purification works. Is it common though for sewage treatment works or plants to be close to estuaries? Yes, it is. Why? Why is that? Because the estuaries, the, it's the conduit into the urban areas. You've got to think that sort of river valleys and river courses, um, sewage systems usually follow them. Therefore, gravity can just do the work for yeah. you most of the time. Occasionally, they have to pump sewage over hills um, because you get these kind of like government, you get these kind of like um, administrative bodies who might have a, a hamlet who are on the far side of a hill and they have to build a pumping station to pump sewage waste up so and do over. They, what do they use different sewage processes for uh, for um, towns that are built like not near estuaries, for instance in Switzerland? <laughs> well, there'll still be streams and things. I mean... Well, it's, yeah, it's still, yeah, I mean, but a watercourse is the easiest way to dispose of, of waste. So you treat the effluent to of a high enough standard so that it can be disposed into the waste system that you've got, the, the, the water system that you've got. Uh -huh. They use what they call penstock regulators. What do they do in the desert? The, the, um, the effluent into the water. This is like the Kate sewage quiz. <laughs> This, feel, this feels like the sort of place where you could cut your leg and get a really hideous blood disease and end up having your eyes pecked out by a crow. Whereas in the home counties, all you've got to do is walk down the road and there's some snug little pub. You can sit there in an ingle nook and drink a fine malt whiskey. It's kind of not bounded by sea, but it's got sea on two sides of it, hasn't it? Ah. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot more exposed to the elements than, say, if you're thinking of a place like Buckinghamshire, which, yeah. is, which is wooded valleys. Mm. And most of the rivers end up being estuaries. 